Defender of the Crown, to survive this nightmare, your mind better be as sharp as your sword. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Guys, Defender of the Crown, um, a game that is on the NES, but also just um, a version, you know, you could just play this game uh, online right now on uh, cinemaware.com or something like that. Uh, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, but I think it's just funny that like, this is just a game now that is free. But people probably paid sixty bucks for it back then. I mean, it's not the NES version, though, right? No, I think it's probably the uh, like Amiga. Um, Amiga was the yeah the game the version yeah. of this game that was very popular. Um, you know, this is a very European game, right? It takes place in England and all that. And <laughs> I, I don't think like I didn't feel any attachment to these characters being an American. <laughs> that is such a weird thing to hop on. <laughs> I mean, did you not like? You didn't like. Uh, uh, you didn't like knights and shining armor media, like that. That's all like this kid nah, stuff. Like Mike that. was only a cowboy guy. <laughs> Just it's only it's cowboys. funny though that you bring that up because I didn't know where I was going with that. But thank you, Sean. Like you're actually right though. I hate all that stuff. Medieval times, um, you know, like all that stuff. Just not interesting to me. Jousting, uh, boring. Sorry to say it. Um, you're telling me that if like ESPN eight the Ocho had like a jousting tournament, you wouldn't watch it. I'd have to know the players. Okay. You know, like, I couldn't just go in there. And I'm not saying they have to be celebrities. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'd have to be invested. I can't just go in there and pick a guy and say, oh, I hope he wins today. Because I'm going to be honest, even just playing jousting in this game was a little confusing. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to fully follow it on um, ESPN The Ocho. You didn't like A Knight's Tale starring Heath Ledger? I never saw it. Uh, oh. I did hear good things, but... um you know, that's that's my own problem, so, I'll, so I'll add that to the watch list. Yeah, I'm just really hoping now that they, that ESPN comes out with a celebrity jousting. <laughs> <laughs> I think, honestly, like, NBC could probably do it, right? Yeah. That'd be great for Peacock. Yeah. It would be a right. great, like, Olympic game. We've, we're, we've been doing a bunch of Olympic games. Right. Defender of the Crown, uh, though, is not an Olympic game. It's not a, a series of mini games either. It's not just like you joust, you swing maces, uh, all that stuff. <laughs> it is this that, is though. another one of our, like, you know, grander, not grand, but like, you know, a larger strategy, uh, like game where it's, uh, it's England after the death of wh- which king? Does anybody remember who the king is? One of those kings. One of those kings and like, the 1100s, what have you, and uh, all these different factions now are fighting for territorial control of England, and the only winner can be the one who conquers all the territories, which is what you'll do. You'll be one of those factions. You'll start with your own castle, conquer other territories and other castles, take on rival factions, and hopefully conquer all the territories so that you can become the new king of England. I think as a concept, even though I'm not attached to the Middle Ages, that's fairly straightforward of a game for, like, a, you know, a grand strategy-style game, right? Like, the idea of just conquer all the territories, very, uh, like, the board game Risk, you know? Easy to grapple, uh, I understand what's going on, I understand my objective. Now it's just, okay, but how do I do that? What did you guys think? Well, I think the, the first thing that I'm, I'm sure came up in everybody's mind was that, like, 
comparisons to Nobunaga's ambition, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the only game that we've really like played that that was that was like kind of going for the same thing. And I think that maybe because we had just played that relatively recently, playing this makes me feel um I don't know, appreciative that it's like a little easier to understand. And I'm not really sure if uh, if I hadn't played Nobunaga's Ambition, if I would have been maybe a little more aggravated by the things that were harder to understand. But like by comparison, this is like, oh, I get it. I know what I'm doing. Like you know, there there might be some sometimes where I'm a little confused. But like as you figure it out, it not that Nobunaga's Ambition is not a functioning game, but it it takes a lot of work on your part to like understand how it functions. Whereas this, I feel like you can pretty quickly get into the swing of it and like fully understand it and like know what your objectives are and know how to go about it, know what you're doing right, know what you're doing wrong. See, I, I sort of had a, a different experience. I I couldn't really... Like, I'm, I was interested in the... It, I'm interested in these kinds of games. Uh, I'm interested in this game. Um, and as much as I didn't really understand Nobun- Nobunaga's ambition, uh, I understood, like, the basics, but, you know, couldn't couldn't game the system in the way that a, a a veteran would be able to. I think I understood that more than I understood this one. And I don't think it has anything to do with like the complexity of the game because it is um it isn't as complex as Nobunaga's ambition. I think it had more to do with like I I I found that maybe the artificial intelligence in this game is just a little different than what I was expecting um in terms of like what your enemies are doing and th- there was just some some clarity that was missing uh for me as to like what the state of my opponents was and like i we'll we'll get into it but i i think i i had some issues with this one while still appreciating uh, a lot about it well sean you might remember in our nobunaga's ambition episode uh which was just you and me joe gave his thoughts the following episode that we were talking about did they need like all of these different uh stats and um occurrences to happen like did they give you too much freedom in control and you can't really you can't really make like a verdict there like you can have an opinion for sure but it's hard it's impossible to say because the developers obviously wanted you to be in control of all those things in in this particular game defender of the crown you're really just playing as the actual leader of your faction uh, in in an army like setting, you don't have to worry about um your towns. You don't have to worry about um you know taxing your citizens or the happiness of your citizens. You're just building an army, go, you know, conquering territory and taking on other factions. So that's like the for me the most apparent difference between this and Nobunaga's ambition is that like the goal. Uh, of Nobunaga's was um, was too open ended for me, and here I I got the idea of just conquer territories early and often and build your army as fast as possible. And you were talking about the AI, and something I noticed is with the AI in uh, Nobunaga's, you saw what they were doing. You know, like you were able to, uh, you could even watch it all. Yeah, which, was, which is crazy. In this game, it's it's happening and. You kind of have the ability to see them take territories via the map changing colors and stuff like that, but you don't really know what's going on until you take it to your turn and start evaluating what they've done. And I have no way to like confirm this or not, but it seems like the AI is very busy during their turns 
and there's never really like a good moment to strike them. They're always about, at yeah. the very least, even with you, at least stronger. <laughs> yeah, going back to your first point about like sort of the main difference between these two strategy games that we played pretty close to each other now, um, is that I think I preferred the, the focus, even though, again, like I had trouble understanding both of them <laughs> uh, because I didn't play enough of it. I think if I played 40 hours of each, I'd have a, a better comparison. But at least like at its core... What I appreciated about Nobunaga's Ambition is that while it's not like a nation-building game, it is still like it's it, it's more administration-focused. Like there's more scope to it um, than uh, Defender of the Crown, which is more uh, yes expansion uh, like in Nobunaga's Ambition, but also focusing on like the gallantry thing uh, with uh, the with all the weird mini games in here. Um, but I. I think like when when it comes down to uh yeah the the AI I, there was um yeah it was just that I couldn't I could not tell what was going on I was playing the game wrong the first two times I played it uh I did the exact opposite of what you said I I basically just tried to amass an army first and then go on the attack and by then like I was the last blue standing so yeah I'm I'm rambling now but this is my experience. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think I have like a big concept thing that I want to save for later, but I, I'm going to save it for later for sure. But I want to say that it's going to answer the kind of thing you were just mentioning, because I do think it's important to understand that the developers of this game did set up the game in, in a particular way. Joe, you were going to add something? Yeah, well, I was just going to ask. So not to harp on this too long, but uh, so as far as the AI the enemy AI, like, what about it was... What element of it was? did you find, like, was was making it more challenging for, you know, to under to understand what was happening? So, I think there was a point, because, um, again, this was in... This is why I was playing the game wrong, which is, I mean, I, I pretty much just played the, the game wrong the whole time, um, where I was sort of stuck, and I just kept getting uh, attacked in my home, my home province. And no matter how many times I fought them off in the like archery mini game, um, that ne- and then I would like have some gold and I'd buy some replacements to refill my garrison. Um, that next turn, it would happen again. And so I was stuck in this like negative, positive, whatever feedback loop of just getting attacked over and over, defending for as many times as I could. And after each attack, just buying just enough to be able to defend myself and not, like, grow. So after however many repetitions of this, I was just frustrated. <laughs> and I know that this is my fault, but that was my experience with the game. I, okay, I, I, I hear that now. Um, yeah, I wonder if that is, like, a like just something that you can get yourself stuck into. Yeah, because like, like, my, my thing was, like, oh, are they, like, do they have sources of income that I don't as a player to like sort of buff the the computer um, well, what did you what do you use what was your most what did, what was your source of income mostly just like the the like I mean I did some or, rating uh, when I wasn't getting attacked in the earlier game um and then I was just sort of like living off of the the base amount yeah um because I, I feel like yeah, I think it was it just it just played out differently for me. But I did first of all, I did a lot of raiding. 
raiding was like was like my second income like whenever i didn't want to attack i would just raid a castle um because i also found that that was like the easiest of the mini games for me to like get good at yeah so i so i would do that mini game i would come back with money i would i would buy soldiers and i would put them in different places and then i would be able to get more castles and get more territories so then each turn i would get more money and i spent a couple turns like just building that way getting a couple territories like letting my money build um and then and then went on to like finally start attacking when i had like a good amount of money a good amount of soldiers a good amount of knights um but yeah so i I mean i didn't feel at least at first like i was getting like kind of screwed by the ai there was a point later on where i felt like i was screwed but i do feel like i could have you know that was just me losing the game later in the game yeah but um, that's me that's what yeah i I don't want to get too much further into like the tactics and strategy because i don't feel like we've accurately described the game enough yet breaking it down into pieces but i was just going to mention joe if i if i made it seem like the ai is uh cheating or too difficult that's not that wasn't my intention my intention was that nobunaga's ambition requires um more possibilities and more options more to variables, every single. Yeah. Right, more right. variables. So the AI could just wildly vary from your strategy, but it, you might be leading them in another department. In this particular game, you know, for better or for worse, the AI is basically just, you know, working on the same stuff, taking territories that you can't possibly get to yet and building up an army that's at the very least going to match your numbers, if not surprise you with how many numbers they have. Now, you can always check... The status of your AI, but only um, on your particular turn. It doesn't cost you a turn or anything. You can always check in on everybody. But I think it's just surprising to see how strong their armies grow and how fast they uh, they conquer the, that land. Uh, very, and you know that's probably the intention of the game. Is like if we if we break this down for a minute, right? You have a selection of characters, uh, and those characters, other than just having different names and portraits, the biggest thing is their attributes. You have leadership, jousting, and sword play. And for each of the different characters that you choose, they either have uh, a weak, an average, a strong, and a good. Uh, so strong being the best. I did them out of order there for a second. <laughs> but um, it, it varies between them. Personally... Uh, you know, I didn't think about the character selection too much, although I suppose that is some of the fun of the game. But Cedric of Rotherwood has, at the very least, just average stats with a strong stat as well. He's not weak in any particular thing. And so I just gravitated to him. I mean, it's nice to have a choice, but with the, the learning curve of the game, you know, you're, you're best off probably just starting with the most average player and uh and figuring out the mechanics that way than giving yourself a handicap yeah i I actually also went with cedric but for different reasons i I just went with cedric because the leadership was strong which which i knew would help in like overall battles yeah and then the the one that was worse was jousting which i was like well i probably won't do that much jousting anyways and i and i didn't actually it um but i think the if you're good at jousting that means that you can very easily like raise your leadership but i that's that's another Section. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then I also wasn't sure if like if I like if it was just better for me to just start with strong leadership and then not have to worry about raising it. I don't know if it gets lowered at any point. I don't know. In which case you have <laughs> to raise it again. But yeah, so I, I, you know, just as a rookie, was just like oh, I'll go with Cedric. Also, it is weird how they weight the attributes, though, right? Like leadership is is very important because that's how your army, the whole thing you're building throughout the game, that's how well they respond. To your commands so you you would want that to be strong 
um, jousting is just something that can either uh, help you uh, claim certain land against other people or gain the leadership category anyway. So you might as well, again, start with someone with strong leadership rather than build it up via jousting. Although I suppose you could conquer some territories that way. Can't conquer castles through jousting, though. And then swordplay... I actually uh, thought about like switching to somebody who was strong in swordplay because I was struggling with that for a minute, but it only increases the health bar of, of your sword character. It doesn't make them better at striking or anything like that. That's still entirely up to you and how you do it. So it's weird that jousting and swordplay become almost these, uh, as Sean was describing them, minigame stats. But leadership is the one that actually matters. Yeah. Uh, from an yeah. army perspective, you know, they should have had maybe more, uh, you know, like a wisdom uh, attribute or an intelligence attribute, you know, that, that mattered to, to other things involving your army. Or like tactics or something. Yeah. But I guess that is sort of covered by leadership. Um, but um, yeah, I've, I've read about, or I've, I watched a little bit of uh, other critique of the game and heard that you can basically beat this game without really leaving the menu uh, aside from, like the times that you actually need to, um, like you don't have to do any raids, you don't have to um, uh, do any uh, defense mini games. It's 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 like if you've really mastered the game, you don't have to do any of the other things that these stats are controlling. <laughs> yeah, I found that I I I I saw that too. I, I I don't know how you do that, but I saw that that was a way of going about it too. And I think like I'm assuming that like anyone who plays it kind of has their own. Uh, like variation of like how much of that they do like for me like i never held a tournament you know i think i was like invited to one tournament but otherwise i was like i don't want to do this i don't care about you know right now i'm not trying to get my what is it like you get more respect which which ups your leadership yeah if you if you hold tournaments uh and you can make money if you hold tournaments but i was just like i don't feel like doing the jousting mini game it was like i never did that unless i needed to and like the um you know like i said i did a lot of raids so so that's when you do the raids you end up doing like a little sword fight um mini game which i did a lot of and then the other one that that came up a lot for me was um when my castle one of my castles is being attacked and you got to fight off the people with the crossbows yeah, which i have mixed feelings about that mini game I hate it. um <laughs> but but i don't know if i if you want me to jump into that now to to if we're going to talk about the mini games uh, well, you know, I did just before we get to the mini games, Joe. Sure. I wanted to just talk about the the map itself. You know, some uh, it's just it's clearly the map of England, but the way that the territories are divided and where you start are kind of important uh, to the overall game because you can only ever be a uh, I guess a, a northern lord in this game, right? You can only you only ever start in the north. You only have like three choices of possible castles to start at. One of the castles is far superior than the other ones which uh, uh you know just a strategy that i read on game faqs because you got that robin want to right? start what's that because you got robin hood like right there um it's actually it gives you more gold oh yeah the oh. territory the territory starts you with more gold uh it starts with 11 instead of 10 and then you gain um an extra gold bonus so you just get soldiers quicker um i forget which one it is i think it's the most centered uh, of the uh, of the northern castles, but maybe they give you that because if you're the most centered, you you're well. I guess you're surrounded by allies, so it's not semi allies. You're more exposed, yeah. But you're more exposed, so like if if more places get taken over, you're like I I, I liked you know when you for Cedric, you know you're you're right on on like the coast, so you 
there's no one there's no one north of you that can attack so you're like safe as long as you defend to the south yeah um so like i wonder if that's why they give you that extra gold it like can give you that advantage in the center castle because you're you're exposed on all sides that sounds like a a, a good balance thing yeah you're exposed on all sides uh you know and i think that's the that's the interesting thing here in general right is that there's a lot of open territory most of it in the south um but the game moves very quickly from the sense of all this open territory to everybody just kind of quickly claiming uh the open land and then figuring out where to go from there do they uh do do they take the land from others with the expectation that uh the other armies won't be there so it's like a free capture do they uh, go for the castles to take down the, um, you know, the rival faction before they can accumulate too much land? The the land matters so much in this game, and it's interesting that the unoccupied spaces have bonuses of their own for the person who conquers them first. Uh, you know, like you get uh, a gold bonus and a vassal bonus uh, provided to the first person. You can't just take it from somebody else and acquire that bonus. But, you know, you have this ability... To move freely within your own land too, so there's a lot of things that the map offers to you that I like. I appreciate it almost that even though it seems like the land could be conquered very quickly, it matters right from the very beginning which direction you choose to go in. You could create a uh, you know in Risk, there's always that strategy of like starting in Australia and creating the uh, the walled garden. <laughs> you know, you could try to do that from the northernmost point. And just kind of continue to work your way in, so this way they have to fight you uh, in order to get to your uh, more precious things like your castle. But you could also take the uh, the stance that, like, no, it's better to take these guys uh, to take these middle spaces earlier to challenge the you know the bonuses and the land that you're going up against with your with your enemies. Uh, any other thoughts on the map from you guys? I guess one thing that this isn't like specific to. This game, it's more just a comparison to other strategy games that deal with maps, is um, that I was sort of surprised that there wasn't really much of, like, a terrain bonus thing. And I guess, like, England, it it's not it's not a very varied landscape, um, so it wouldn't really apply too much. But when it comes to uh, territory expansion in, in strategy games, like, I'm always looking for choke points, and there just isn't any in this map, um, which, which I guess, like, sort of takes away from some strategic thinking, but also makes it so you can't just rely on them. Uh, That's a fair point, you know? There's there's not a lot of personality on this map either. Like, lo- um, I think the only locations that have names would be the ones with the castles, correct? Um... I I don't quite remember. I don't think you can. I don't think you can name check the territories otherwise. Yeah, I know that. I know that the castle ones definitely do. But I I mean I've played too much, too much Crusader Kings not to like associate <laughs> them with others. <laughs> so now that we have a layout of the objective of the game and uh, the way that your leadership stats work and the map itself. What's the first thing you do in a game like this? You have you have a lot of different options, right? You can you can build up your army with uh, by spending your gold to buy an army. You can raid a castle to get some money. You could host a tournament. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot you could conquer territories that haven't been claimed yet. Joe, what did you do first? 
Well, I mean, if we want to talk about what I really, really did first was like, oh, what is this game? Let me attack some people, lose really fast, and then start over. <laughs> but then what I did first, once I already sort of had an idea of what I was doing, was, you know, my, my strategy, like like I kind of mentioned earlier, was to was to start by, you know, I, I would <coughs> defend, you know, defend my castle, you know, like as, as much as I can, buy what I could, and then for a few turns, just raid other castles and and start building up money so I could build up my army so then I could once I had like a decent army a couple of knights you know a couple of catapults and a and a, a good number of of soldiers I would start taking over like a territory or two around me then raid more castles get more money take a few more turns to get the income from now these other territories and then kind of like uh do that again but like exponentially bigger because now i have more money i can buy more things and try and slowly start like working my way out um and that was really kind of like my gameplay loop and obviously like a lot of those turns you have to spend especially when you have more castles and more territories you have to spend defending your territories um and i'd be interested in seeing how like an expert does this without doing any of the mini games because because that was like my biggest hindrance was like okay I want to do this but now I got to do this mini game and like it all comes down to my skill at it which at first was definitely uh, a big setback I did get better at a couple of them like I said I was good at the um I was good at the the raids and I also got better at when uh at the mini game that occurs when people attack your castle so like I don't know it was a, it was a varied thing but I think I actually sort of in my um in my playthrough sort of neglected a, a good chunk of this game that I'd be interested in going back and playing playing like maybe with more focus on you know on uh, tournaments or, or some of the other like things that you can do to to build up your army sorry that's kind of rambling but there's just a lot of uh, there's a lot of paths you can take it seems like to yeah to move forward I, the first thing I did uh, sort of completely counter to what Joe did was um uh, host a tournament because I'm like, all right. I mean, I know that this is going to be mostly uh, just conquering territory. So we'll, let's see what makes this game uh, different. So I did that and immediately sucked at jousting and then kind of got the hang of swinging the chain. Um, and uh, what was the third the third thing you did? I don't quite remember. But uh, raiding the castles with the um, no tournament. Play? Oh, tournament. Uh, no, isn't that it? Um, I think it's just the jousting and the macing. Okay, I thought there was a third thing. But anyway, um, so I, I did that, and I like I'm like, oh, okay, I can like sort of use this as a way to like get some soft power but then i realized that like yeah you're just sort of raising a stat and you're not really gaining much by hosting this tournament uh, aside from like a little bit of gold so i was like okay i'm not going to do that again i'll just go to the ones that i'm invited um and that then that's where i sort of like lost my my way and made bad decisions uh throughout so yeah but i i did try and just do the tournament thing and see where that took me yeah i i'd argue the most important thing for me to do before thinking about even hosting a tournament or taking on a rival faction was just building my own army. Uh, you know, there, you start with 20 soldiers in your castle, the space that you occupy. And, you know, depending on where I was on the map, I just kind of said, screw it. Like, uh, you know, when you buy people for your army, they always go back to your castle anyway. So I took all those guys 
out of my castle, put them right into my uh, garrison and just said, like, let's ride, boys. Like, we got 20 <laughs> of us. Like, like, let's go. Let's take some territories. And, uh, you know, I, I would immediately go for the territories, too, because you want that gold bonus. You want to be able to buy more uh, um, soldiers right away, too. And eventually the catapult, because the catapult's the only way that you can uh, take on the castles and take them over to begin with. But if we could just talk about the strategy of buying in general, it's weighted in a, in the sense where uh, soldiers are just one gold. So theoretically, you know, soldiers are something that should be plentiful to you at any particular time, um, especially as the game goes on and you acquire a lot of gold. You could buy uh, you could have a soldier army of like, you know, 40, 50, 60 people. You know, it caps at 250 per unit. So clearly the game was expecting people to have high army counts if games went on for a lot longer. Knights are 8 gold, catapults are 15 gold, and um, the castles thing, which I didn't I didn't fully understand, um, I think that's 25 or, or 20, I can't remember exactly. But for me, you know, this was mostly a game of buying a ton of soldiers, maybe um, a few knights and stuff like that, but the idea that buying these guys sends them back to your home base, not where you are, it could work in your favor if you're constantly taking guys out of there anyway, so this way you're replenishing your stock without being there. And since you can travel freely amongst your own territories, it's not like it's going to cost you a turn to go back. Hopefully, it's not going to cost you a turn to go back to your uh, to your castle. I just thought it was a little strange that you're the idea of buying your army, but they're but you're not buying them on uh, at the place where you are. You know, I could imagine that you'd be on the territory paying a a different sum or whatever depending on whether you own the territory or have a castle there or something the the game didn't really do that instead it's flat rates throughout the entire game something that could easily be taken advantage of yeah as you get closer to the late game that is true i so i think a lot of where you see that as odd comes from like you you sort of started out by saying that you are playing as your guy and always like as your guy leading the army wherever he may go like that's your perspective of where you are whereas i guess like when this sort of crosses into like a real-time strategy thing i know this isn't that but when i think of playing like starcraft or something like when i make when i when i make infantry they come out of my base and so i think that like if you also apply that to like well if you're recruiting uh soldiers you're like you're raising your levy in your home province, so that sort of made a, a bit of sense to me. But I kind of want to touch on what you said at the end there too, um, which is so where everything's a flat rate, and that does like make it so that like in the late game, having a bunch of guys is almost like a given. Um, so it sort of makes it so that like this game lives and dies. Your your playthrough lives and dies by the early game, and if you've made some mistakes and your uh, gold to guys economy isn't up to par, um, the fact that it costs the same to you as it does like the biggest opponent, there are no like size malices. Um, you could easily just get steamrolled and it may take several turns for you to actually lose, but uh, you will lose. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I get that. And I, and I, maybe this, this is kind of artificially created, but but I do I don't hate the idea that like that you live and die by your by your early game because then it feels like when you do well you know 
you you play and you do okay and and maybe you know you're like me and you lose like halfway through but now i feel like if i if i can figure out that early game and i can get to that point like even if it's artificially created i feel like it just feels it would feel so rewarding to finally be like wow like now i'm i'm like unstoppable because i because i found the right path to get here oh yeah it's very uh it's a great power trip once you've done it um but i think it it sort of takes away from how dynamic a game can feel if if like there's no not not to call it like a rubber band thing like in a racing game but um that there isn't uh different play styles that like oh if you play like this like you're gonna have it's gonna be difficult early but later uh you're gonna start to uh, really start to dominate or like oh this is easy because in the beginning you'll have a uh, you'll, you'll have an advantage but later on it becomes a little more cumbersome like I, I guess this, it would need to be a much more complex game to have that sort of feel uh, but um, I guess I've been using most of my time saying like this could this should be like other games <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I see what you're saying and I and I, I don't disagree with you I, I wasn't I wasn't even saying like just for the just for the power trip element of it, but I mean for like the journey to get to that power level, like it does feel satisfying. But I think that's a that's like a different point than arguing with what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying too. Yeah, like that you know it it I, I I like that it gives you that that you know way to like find your path to getting to that getting that powerful. But I also you know I I see that like there could definitely be um, some more complexity to to some of these systems that lets you like there's yeah, one him, way to win right right yeah i mean it's all the you know that early game being so important is all the more reason to make sure that your army is well equipped from the very beginning i i, I would say that you know i played i played a few playthroughs of this game and the winning strategy for me was you know withdrawing my entire um army from my castle and putting it directly into my garrison and then uh raiding other people's castles to get more gold right away the only objective of the raid is just to be good at the uh sword play mini game uh which is really just a uh funny side scrolling like strike with pixel knives <laughs> thing that like it, it's not the most intuitive thing but it's also not that hard to learn how to be good at it if you know your game depends on it yeah. right like if that's one of the major things like you sorry but you must learn that mechanic or you're not gonna have a good time with this game and once you do learn uh and you know I, i'm not saying i found a cheat or anything i just think i found a way to do this and a way to consistently win at this swordplay game that it made it easier to have a big army at the at the at the start of the game which is a nice feeling, sure, but also makes it so this way it kind of diminishes other strategies for playing this game when I know that this works better. Yeah. So let's talk about the raiding of the castles since uh, that was the most recent thing with the swords play and everything like that. Again, the sword play stat of your character is just uh, dependent on how much health that they get. You always attack three small health uh, enemies on the outside of the castle and then someone on the inside uh, who has a much larger, significantly larger health bar. This is a uh, side-scrolling, which is weird to say, right? Because it's not really scrolling. So it's just a 2D swordsman's game, uh, much like the fencing game that we played in... um, 
the uh, track and field it's two. It's a fencing right? beat em up uh, with one enemy yeah. per screen. <laughs> with one enemy per screen, uh, I love it. Or, or sorry, one enemy per time, but the the screen doesn't change for the first three guys. They just keep coming oh, yes, outside yes. one by one. <laughs> Why they wouldn't just to come out all three at once? Are they like? Okay, he's not that serious. You go first, and then they're like, "Oh shit, he's dead! It's, I got to get just outside." That and other like, warlord, <laughs> he didn't come right. with anybody else. Yeah, he really should be sending out more of his army, especially when you later fight him and find out he has sixty soldiers. You're like, <laughs> "Why did I just take down four? Uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, this is a mechan- This is a a game uh, idea here where you you either strike high or strike low or de- or defend. Um, I think the main objective for me here was just to gain as much control of the space as possible and by that i mean move forward uh don't be backed into a corner because uh, they walk slowly you walk slowly but you have enough time to continually gain ground and then it's as simple as like a mike tyson's punch out rhythm game thing where like i would take a strike take a step back take a strike take a step back okay. you just strike then step strike then step you'll you'll eventually be in a corner sure but if you find yourself there it's only because you didn't gain enough ground joe yeah. you have some thoughts no i was gonna say at first i thought that uh that that was interesting because it sounded like what you were saying was the exact opposite of what i did which <laughs> i also thought i found a way uh but actually when you continued explaining it uh i think you did the exact same thing yeah gain ground at the beginning and then spend basically most of the actual fight sort of like half retreating while you're kind of stabbing at him and it was just yeah it was all just came down to timing um, and I, yeah, I did, I did like the exact same thing, but I will say that I felt like as much as that gave me like the confidence that I knew if I did, if I, if I was in the sword fight, I would probably win 75% of the time. There was still that 25% where I'm like, it, it still wasn't like a perfect plan, at least for me. Maybe I could have gotten better at it if I, if I did it more. So it wasn't a perfect plan and it still felt like there was a little bit of risk to raiding a castle. Like I could lose. Right, right. You, I mean... Yeah, I, I don't want to make it sound like I was perfect. Uh, I guess it was like the idea of, you know, raiding for money being the most consistent way to win the game. Almost like, you know, since I was taking the same steps every time, if you don't win the the raid, you just reset because it's like that's it's not worth it. You know, it's it's better to just follow <laughs> the same steps again and try <laughs> the raid. Yeah. Sean, any thoughts on the sword play? Anything they could have done? I mean, obviously, they could have done a lot, right? Uh, the The... The striking mechanic, even just the ability to only either strike or play defense, <laughs> well, is is better in some regards, right? But it's not the full pick. Yeah, I mean, basically, the only other thing that I can say differently from you guys uh, is really just like uh, whenever I was in that mini game, I just wanted to play Nidhog <laughs> instead. Well, I mean, I always <laughs> want to play Nidhog. Yeah, <laughs> Sean, what is Nidhog for the uninformed? Nidhog is a fencing game where you try to gain ground on your opponent uh, and eventually get eaten by a worm. And we'll put a, <laughs> a, a link in the show notes for those of you that still don't understand, but it is a great game, and we've all played it together. Yeah, we have. Uh, actually, I want to I wanna back up for a second. Mike, you said... Um you said that the best bet would be to reset if you're losing and just kind of try it again over and over again, right? That was sort of my point, I, too. I, I did... I did say that. I did say that. And I think I know what you're about to say. Okay. Uh, I'm not suggesting that this is the one true way to play the game. It's just that um, through through trial and effort, uh, you know, and I did eventually beat this game. Uh, I think your best bet is just to stick with what you know. 
uh, stick with what's working and just continually try based on that. I didn't want to ruin a good thing. You know, if I yeah. was doing well with this particular strategy, I didn't want to say, oh, well, maybe it's time to try tournaments or maybe it's time to um, go for more empty land early on and just have more spaces, uh, okay. which is so certainly a tactic. I, I would AI. say that like what, what, what Mike said is it, it's a little bit more uh, extreme of of like what I was saying, just like oh, if you if you mess up in the early game, like you're you're already screwed, so you may as well start over. But I think that like after one failed raid, maybe that isn't happened. That hasn't happened yet. <laughs> well, right, right, and I and I get it for the early game if you want to start the game over. But but just to be clear, you mean actually literally reset, like start over. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, so that's where I feel like that's where I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice. Like like I feel like that's like. That takes away the enjoyment of the game because you're taking away the stakes of like, well, I lost and now I have to deal with that and like learn how to, how to, like, I feel like that's the point of this game is to like, you lost, you lose men, you lose time, you lose a turn, whatever. Now you have to like maneuver around that. And like that, that's where I think the strategy comes in is like recovering when you, when you lose. Well, that's sort of like the, that, I, my point is that there isn't, there aren't a lot of opportunities to recover. Like, have you won? Did you win a game after you had lost, a, like, so, a, a couple times in, like, halfway through what you thought was halfway through the game? I mean, I, no, I, I didn't do that. But I also don't think that, like, a couple times when I when I failed what I was trying to do, that that, like, sunk my game. Okay. So what, what, I, what I feel like, you know, just to, a little sidebar, like, what I feel like sunk my game was, could be something with what you were talking about earlier where i just suddenly started to feel like the enemies had gained so much so much such huge armies like halfway through the game but i also you know i at 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 the time had attributed that to like okay maybe i started spreading myself too thin too early and i started trying to take too many territories and and then and you know lost ground that way but like i never thought like i i, I failed at a lot of things you know i would fail when i would go into to do a raid or i would fail with like defending my castle but like you know, there was there was some fluctuation. Like I would I would I would start to lose a little bit. I would kind of come back a little bit, and then you know, at one point, obviously, it just it just skyrocketed how much I was losing. But like, <laughs> I don't know. I'd works. have to play it a few more times. To <laughs> yeah, like, what you're say, right. To like to like know if it's if it if it is like possible or not. But I didn't feel like it was ever impossible while I was playing. I'm sure it's possible. Uh, I'm sure there are people who are better at this game. I'm just saying anecdotally. That my one playthrough where I won, I was perfect in the sense that not that nobody ever died or anything, but like that I never failed anything I set out to do. If I if I was raiding a castle, I raided it uh, successfully. If I was uh, trying to take on an enemy castle, um, I catapulted. Uh, I threw the rocks successfully, knocked down the wall, and then like fought them head on, and it, it all worked out for me. You know, um, I I don't know for certain. That it can or can't be beat. All I'm going to say to you, and this is, you know, just an idea. I don't need a response or anything like that. But you're suggesting, <laughs> you're suggesting that um, it wasn't the failure that caused the enemies to gain ground on you. And I would think that that's what it would have to have been, right? Is that like where in a game where every single turn counts towards the you know, the abilities of your army and everything that in that particular failure or failures, that's actually where the enemy was gaining ground on well, you in terms of soldier count or, or land or gold. Well, sure. Of course. Yeah. I mean, like, like any game, but then, you yeah, know, but yeah, then sometimes but, but I would win it back. Because now it's too late. 
Yeah, but not, but you know, I don't think it was that. My point is, I don't think, and again, like, I also don't know because I only had like the experience where, you know, the one experience. But I also think that, you know, like, it was at one point that happened, yes. But I feel like at several other points, I would lose, but then I would gain it back. And I would, you know, I felt yes. like I, like, and maybe, yeah, the times I lost in the beginning somehow eventually, uh, contributed and, and, and was the cause of that. But I, I'm, my point is that I just don't think that. You know, I mean, that's how you that's how you win or lose any game. Like, I don't think that it was so. At least, it wasn't apparent to me that it was so unbalanced. Once you lose, that like, hey, if you lose, like, you're pretty screwed for the rest of the for the rest of the time. Like, I feel like I had to lose quite a few times before I was like, okay, well, now it's over. But then that's me losing the game. I just want you to know, I feel good about this conversation <laughs> and that. Um, there's, you know, that not only is there no way to prove it, but it's almost right. certainly in your favor. The, odd, the odds are in your favor. <laughs> I guess I'm just saying that, like, I prefer to play as a god a game like this. Yeah, a game <laughs> like this where, like, where I'm in so I'm in so deep, right? Like, it's it's all or nothing, but it's also not all or nothing if I can just go back and do it better the next time. Uh, I prefer to just start over than to live with my failures. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, okay. I mean, I'm gonna that, step in here too, especially in this age of save states and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I do that too, but like, I just feel like we, you know, I, I just don't think it was necessarily a fault of the games, although it could have been. I, I will just step in here real quick, just to, uh, to to remind everyone that I only agree with Mike if this happens early. <laughs> I think yes, mid, and, yeah. mid and game. I, I also I'm agree if it happens yeah. early. Yeah, mid, mid game you can come back from losses. Early. Yeah, sure, a hundred percent. Also because yeah, you'll be gaining a lot more gold, so you'll be able to rebuild your army and stuff like that. A hundred percent, I agree. I think we're all uh, back on the same page here. So since we talked about raiding the castles. Can we talk about the other uh, minigame-like aspect, which is the tournaments, uh, the jousting and everything like that? We briefly touched upon this, but I'd really just love to hear if there's any additional thoughts. And also just the the mechanic of the jousting and uh, I think what they call the melee, but really just swinging your mace around. (laughs) It's... It's different than the swords play. So the you know the objective for for jousting here, you you have your lance and you have to be very precise with this thing. And I think it's kind of cool how they do it in this first person perspective, where you have your lance and you've got to move it while your horse is moving. So it kind of fights against you a little bit, and you see your enemy coming up. Long story short, you want to line the lance up with, like, the center area of their shield. Not the, like, exact center. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be pretty good yeah. in the center of this shield. And then that will cause them to be knocked off their horse. Then you will go to the melee section with the maces, and it's not something where you just say, like, okay, he's close, attack, attack, attack. You have to, to deal damage. You have to let the mace actually swing for a while, which I thought was a pretty interesting thing. They... Could have maybe explained that a little better in the sense of like a power meter or a swing no, meter no, or something a, to show you. No, no, it's built you. in. Uh, yeah, like, it's just so built the, in. Uh, you just count how. how no, many times no, you no. Swing. So like, okay, the first of all, the the jousting. Uh, I I was okay at jousting after however many times I did this. Um, I I still don't really know, um, what all the variables are that like make you, uh be able to get your your um to to get your lance over to the um the shield um i will say that both of these mini games like definitely feel weighty i think that's that's good like 
I imagine trying to line up a lance is pretty difficult. Um, uh, but when it comes to the uh, swing in the chain portion, like there, there's visual cues as to like when you're supposed to hit that attack button, and it is like on the backswing. Like as soon as you are at the farthest point in that backswing, that and and you are aiming at the correct like lower body or upper body, which wherever the uh, the shield isn't. Um, then you will land a blow. And some, sometimes it feels a little finicky. It's like, oh, I definitely hit him. But um, uh, that that sort of, like, I understood that pretty well. Yeah, that's amazing. You just blew my mind with that. Um, I guess I was just getting lucky. Uh, I really did think you had to, like, let it spin a couple of times. I mean, he kind of did. Like, build up momentum. But that went totally yeah. over my head as well. And, and I'll confess that the reason that I generally didn't do any tournaments was because i i never really bothered to like learn how to every time i did one i was like i have no idea what's going on (laughs) and i would just lose and i'd be like okay i'm just gonna go back to the other part of the game but sean it sounds like you liked the the this uh this tournament mini game i mean i understood them more than i understood the rest of the game uh but i wouldn't say that either of them is particularly engaging yeah I, i i'd agree with that i think that that's like a good a good way of describing like a few of the mini games, not even just in the tournament, but like understandable, not necessarily super super yeah. engaging. Like a- yeah, I mean, even going back to the rating, like I wouldn't say that that sword play was anything to write home about. Um, if anything, it was tedious. Yeah, to just continue to to do to do that in order to gain some gold. They they could have probably came up with some more creative ways to get some gold. The next thing I guess we could talk about is just the uh, defensive siege. What you guys were referring to is the, uh, you know, shooting with your crossbow uh, at the enemies as they try to attack your particular castle. Again, this is kind of like a first-person point of view where you see the soldiers uh, of the enemy pop up and you have to shoot them with your crossbow. Uh, you know, I, I I think it's it's definitely, like, interesting that they chose, like, a, a unique way to to like for each scenario right so if you if you're doing an offensive siege it's not like you're the soldiers now and you got to like dodge the guy with the crossbow like it is nice that they came up with something for your castle being attacked that isn't just like we rolled a random number and it decided that this was the result now you go out and battle army to army like a land it is is cool that right it is cool that this was done um but i don't really have any like thoughts on it uh, it's it, again. It is. It does just feel like a mini game in the way of the actual progress. It's not. It's not particularly hard. It's not. Uh, it, it's not easy though either. Like you do have to try this. Yeah. Th- if this happens to you, like you have to. You have to learn the ropes and hope to do better uh, the following times. I didn't. I didn't quite get the timing right away. Yeah, I guess like uh, what I liked about it in theory, uh, not so much in practice. Um, was that your um, uh, how well you do in this mini game? It's not like it's not like you're playing as just this one crossbowman, but like um, however well you do, like that's how much casualties you've avoided, um, which could which is better, I think, than like an all or nothing thing. Like oh, you successfully repelled them and suffered no casualties, or like oh, you just died and everybody's dead. Um, I, I appreciated that. Um, it's sort of like a war of attrition when it when it's like this. But if you're being raided 
or, or if you're if you're being attacked, like you're just not having a good time. So I didn't really I didn't really like it that much, but I liked the the thought that went into it. I'd say that I, I would have said I would have considered this the best mini game. Maybe I still do, but like the most, I think it's very balanced and. I think it's the most fun of the mini games, personally, uh, and, and I and I think you know it's um, you know it, it's it's challenging. It's 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 challenging, but not impossible. But the, the the flaw with it for me is that so just to to paint the picture a little bit, you know, you you have your crossbow at the bottom of the screen, and you have to move around and and shoot at enemies that pop up on your castle wall. And there's like three different like levels of your castle wall. Like some spots are higher than others, and you have to like adjust the distance that you're going to fire or like i guess it's like the angle that you're holding your crossbow like how high up you're holding it um and you do that just with a tap of the d-pad but there's no real like clear indication of how high you're aiming until you lose several times yeah 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 so like i'll shoot the guy at the top and then i want to shoot the guy at the middle but like if i want to shoot the guy at the bottom easy like as i'm moving the crossbow i'm just holding down and i know i'm at the bottom and same thing with when I shoot the guy at the top holding up, and I know I'm, I'm aiming at the highest. But, like, to shoot at the middle, it's just so... It's because you have to be using the right or left button on the D-pad to move, and then, like, tapping the down button the one time, and, like... It, it, I'm just never clear where I'm aiming until I shoot yeah. and miss. I think and then like, I'm like, okay, I wasn't aiming in the right Instead of, spot. like, just this very... Uh, like, it, there isn't a lot of information that comes from, like, where your character is until you have played it enough to realize that like oh if he's this many pixels up that means he's going to fire at the guys on the ramparts and if he's this many pixels down from that like then it'll be mid-range so i think that they could have fixed this just by like changing the sprite of your guy to actually like also change what looks like the angle at which he's firing that's all that needs to be done but instead it's just like copy pasted but like offset uh however many blocks I don't, it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to describe if you haven't seen the screen uh like what i imagine some of our listeners are just sort of scratching their heads right now but um yeah. that's that's what my that's what i would have done yeah i mean i think i even ideally i mean obviously this might be like you know difficult to do but like put some sort of crosshair or even if it's not gonna be a crosshair like a just some something in your in your lower right that just like says like you know up High, mid, low, yeah. <laughs> or something, and you can just see where you're aiming, or just like has has a little a little bar where you're just you know it's like the 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 section you're li- aiming lights up, you know, or something like that, like just so you could it's all happening so fast you don't have time to like think about <laughs> you know like wait which way does it look like he's maybe mm-hmm. aiming like because then you know it, they they shoot at you pretty quickly. And then the other type of siege is where you're the uh, attacker, and you're uh, to do this. You must own at least one catapult in it, it has to be on your uh on your, your moving army with you. Yep. Uh, on your person. Please have uh, <laughs> please have a catapult. <laughs> and then when you when you choose this offensive uh siege, now uh you're greeted with a, a uh what I would argue is the the best mini game. I know Joe you like the the crossbow one. Mm-hmm. I thought this was kind of fun. Uh you're given a selection of like rocks, diseases <laughs> and uh like um, what's the other like thing? Greek the fire, fire uh, Rome, Greek fire. Yeah, like a right, like a grenade. Yeah, uh, but but eleven hundreds grenade. Uh, <laughs> the idea that you have to then like put, let's just say the rocks, since you have to start with them no matter what for this to work out well. 
you load the rocks onto the catapult one at a time. You have a, you have a limited inventory. And it doesn't matter how strong your army is or how many catapults you have. You only ever have X amount of turns and you can only ever use, um, a certain amount of things. <laughs> I just think that's funny to, though, that like you could have a whole fleet of catapults and like you only remembered to bring that many rocks. <laughs> You're one, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you load these rocks up and you have to, Hold down the A button to kind of load the or you know uh, load the spring to push down the catapult and then release it and with that it launches your rock into the air and then hopefully at a particular point of the castle wall so that it creates a little hole and then you would go to the uh, slightly lower part of the castle from there and aim for that and you can do that a maximum of four times but you really only need to do it like probably twice but I would say three for good measure. To make sure that you then throw over the disease and the um, and the fire stuff um, successfully, because you can't just launch that stuff at the castle; it will just act like it hit a wall or didn't make it or went over it or whatever. You have to make this incision first on the castle, and I I don't know. It was one of those things where you have to learn the timing, but once you figure out where it happens, this was something I could get pretty consistently. So I I enjoyed. Uh, going back and doing this once I had my catapult ready, I felt good going into it. I didn't. I didn't make too many mistakes once I figured out like the positions of the catapult. Then it just became a game of, of you know, making sure that you know, like how many diseases am I going to throw at them or fires am I going to start? Yeah. Uh, so I, I like that. That that's the one thing though that kept because I like this one a lot too. But the, the one thing that kept it from from me liking it more than the uh, the defense mini game. Is that I felt that this one was the most like Automatic. fully learnable. Like you could, I, I like the first couple times it was like trial and error, and I was figuring it out. But then, like after a while, it was like okay, because it clicks when you pull the catapult down. So I would like wait. I think I did like I would count seven clicks, let go. That's the perfect first shot every time. Every single time I would get that, and then it was like okay, now I count five clicks or something. I don't remember what they were now, but like. Okay, that's the perfect second shot. Now I got a perfect hole there. Now I just throw uh, disease, fire, like, and I, w- I feel like it was just. I still enjoyed it. It was still a cool, like, little aside. But like after a while, I was like, okay, I know exactly how to how to maximize this, and like then it got like less. That you know, it was like the opposite of what I was saying for the um for the siege, uh, or not the siege, but for the infiltrating the castle ones, where it was like, yeah, I can learn it, but but I could still like fail. This one, I just felt like it was like. After a while, I was like, "Okay, you can't really fail if you just memorize like exactly when to when to launch things." So, regardless of you know if you make the all four hits on the rocks and throw some diseases or whatever, you still have to then do a land battle, which also can just happen in a regular um, in a regular conquest too. If you're just uh, going up against somebody else who happens to be in the same territory and you're trying to claim that land, you'll get into a fight with them that way as well. So this isn't exclusive to an offensive siege. This is just a land battle that can happen at any particular time. It's whatever um, that particular um, faction has available to them. It's not just like their entire army. That would be crazy. It's whatever they have on them versus whatever you have on you. On their and person. to me... Yeah, this is strictly a numbers game kind of thing. I mean, we talked about that leadership stat changing how well they respond to your commands. But, I mean, maybe you need, like, some really high leadership. For me, this is something where, like, you're either winning or losing as soon as you see what the numbers are. Uh, I never saw a situation where I was at 30 and they were at 40 
and it was going to matter enough that anything other than a retreat was going to help me uh, come out of that alive. Yeah. You know, that said, you know, what your army is made of does matter. Like, if you have, uh, you know, like 60 soldiers and they have 40, that that's great for the start. But if they then have, like, eight knights, they might be able to take you down once you get to those knights. Those guys are strong. So, like, knights are much more effective in much smaller numbers than soldiers would be. But then, you know, catapults also. Like, we were talking about how you can only ever use one yeah. in the offensive siege. But if you do have multiple catapults on you, this is where it counts. Yeah, I mean, it, it very is uh, kind of, it's it's predetermined. Um, in, in one sense, but you can also use different strategies, which I, which I guess, um, depending on your leadership stat and, um, against their leadership stat and however guys you have and how many guys they have, like, I guess if you were to switch it up a bit, um, you could still win a pitched battle. Um, but it just seems to happen so fast, like immediately from the screen, like you, your guys start ticking down. So I think like you have to know exactly what you need to do um, from the beginning in order to to make that correct uh, choice. Like otherwise, it is yeah, just that numbers game. And there might be some RNG thrown in that I don't actually know. <laughs> yeah, but I think even if you do know exactly what you want to do, like I, I was like I was just lucky enough that like my strategy because of what I started with was often to just hold my ground, which is which is the first. Uh, yeah, the default. Selection. But yeah, but if like if I ever needed to change something because I saw I was losing, like th- there was just no time. Like there's no time at all yeah. to do any. Like it, it almost seemed pointless to ever change anything because it's like well, by the time I just scroll down and try and select, uh, I've probably I like lost five like, twenty men or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I I did like that. Like once I started to learn that, like you know, knights also seem to make your soldiers decrease much more slowly like they're i guess they're protecting them or whatever but like th- like there were times where i would have much fewer soldiers than someone else but if i had more knights their soldiers would rapidly deplete which was nice but but yeah, i could never say for sure like how much of my input was mattering or like how much it was just predetermined i appreciate that the commands aren't automatic i think you only have like four things that you can possibly do that gave me like some kind of feeling of a general right like it's it wouldn't be instantaneous so i did kind of like that like if you say retreat you still kind of watch your numbers dwindle for like another second or two (laughs) before they actually go away yeah so you do have to think about what you want to do early on in the battle and that's why i said like for me it was a numbers game if i didn't think i had a chance i wasn't gonna let my army dwindle down and then decide like okay now i i have like eight guys left i know i'm not winning yeah i just wish that they would they gave you an option to be like hey the battle's about to start what's your initial command because it just oh, defaults, that's interesting it just defaults at that one command like well i don't want to give them this command but you have to start there and then you have to spend time in the battle to switch to your other command i like that idea a lot yeah i think it, right, you right could also that. add some some flavor to it if like if it was only the attacker that could choose how to proceed and the defender had to start at that default. Right. Yeah, that would make sense. Don't you think it's interesting, though, that they went with, like, this being the one thing, really, other than, you know, making your turn decisions, this being the one thing that you don't really have control over? Like, everything else is, like, a mini game that you personally are involved in, in one way or another, and then this is the one where they're like, no, here you can just call out from the battlefield what you'd like them to do but even those things aren't necessarily like 
prescriptive of what's going to happen. There's just just like suggestions to your army, right? I mean, I'm sure they change results on a computational level, but not something that we can see visually. So I think it's interesting that they didn't decide like, oh, for the land battles, you'll be one of those guys out on the field, yeah. like attacking other soldiers. And that was sort of one of the things that I appreciated Nobunaga's revenge for was that like a, a land battle is like a tactics game even though it is a very simplified version of one. Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but that's true. Like, yeah, this could easily be, like, a sword fight where every hit you get counts as, like, you destroying some of their numbers, and yeah. every hit they get, you know, kind of like they do it in that, um, well, in other games in this game. And also, I mean, I know we're jumping way ahead here, but, like, in uh, Pirates. Ah. Right, Sid Meier's Sid Pirates. Sid Meier's Pirates, yeah. So that's uh, one one of the bigger ideas I wanted to get back to is you know the inclusion of these mini games at all right like uh, I'm not I'm not talking about this conquest thing anymore because again that feels more like your general uh, you being the general of your army the the mini games they do add uh, an interesting flavor to the game but do you almost wish that those became simulated as well in a in a sense that mattered more to to stats other stats that they could have added maybe things that could have been uh more like dice rolls or do you do you think that the game should have went even further on the mini game side and made everything uh about this game into like little subsections of its own game that you have to learn those parts to succeed further like should should traveling have been a mini game should you know i know it sounds crazy but you could no, have done then, it right it's not unfathomable at that point i think you're making more of an adventure game uh if you're like in direct control of your guy at all times i i think uh, a strategy game um needs to have some more like it, it needs to be stat based and also like decision based so if if more things are being uh simulated that i guess I'm, I'm sort of arguing against both sides here what, what i'm trying to say is that th- this game is kind of uh is, is kind of schizophrenic where or, i'm sorry bipolar where it, there there are some things that are like purely uh direct input and some things that are purely uh stat based and and they're kind of going out in random directions and so it doesn't really have that much of a uh, uh, of an identity um, in that regard. But I think, like, if you made it all, like, direct input, like, now you walk to where you need to go, um, I think that that is, that's more of, like, an adventure game thing. Um, and I, I think that, like, some of the simulation and dice rolling stuff, that would make it a bit more strategy if you had uh, more uh, more decisions to make, like, on a like on a map. Um I'm I'm rambling again. <laughs> You're not rambling because ultimately I get it. Like the, the the this is a conscious choice from the developers to break up the probably what uh you know their kid facing audience would think of as the more boring part of the game, the part where numbers are just displayed. Yeah. Now I don't think their target audience was kids, but for the NES it works out nicely that there are these mini games that happen and they they kind of uh, split you in a way that you describe as bipolar, and I don't think is like wrong, but it's also just a chance to try something different 
uh, for a video game, right? Is that we've already seen the version where this whole game is just numbers. And we didn't find that to be essential. So this is another way of uh, of tackling that. I, I'm not saying that they should have removed all the mini games. I'm not saying that the whole game should have just been an adventure game where you try to conquer England that way. This was the choice of the developer. So ultimately, we can only judge it based on that and, and have opinions on it, you know? True that. Yeah, I was kind of thinking something similar too, where like I wonder if the de- developers, you know, added some of these like mini game things and stuff. And I haven't, I haven't looked into the uh, other versions of this game, but like added these mini games and stuff to, like, as like a as like a remedy for for putting this kind of game on the NES, like because we hadn't seen it really, we hadn't seen a we haven't seen a game on the NES like really work and be appealing to like a large audience yet on the NES, like, because of just the limitations and stuff. So it feels like maybe they were trying to, like, okay, what's, like, some some NES video gamey stuff we can put in here and still keep the core of our game and kind of find strike that, strike up that balance? I, but I'd be interested to see, like, what the... I think this is actually you know, a pretty of this good do. port in terms of, like, what kind of things are in it. Like, this is definitely... Really? All these minigames are definitely in, like, the Amiga version. Right, but this is to Sean's point. This is considered one of the better versions because of the improvements it makes from the Amiga version. Actually, like in terms of balancing and and stuff like that. So I thought that was interesting. You know, presentationally though, too, like the game is the game's pretty beautiful at times, right? Yeah. Uh, the, you know, like some of the graphics for some of the mini games might look a little funny, but if you're just looking at like some of the portraits, uh, I'm True, thinking about yeah. you know for that. For those side missions where you like run into Robin Hood or when you rescue the princess, like those portraits are pretty breathtaking. Um, the jousting, like with the uh, the bugles, like that was pretty cool. These are like they're static images, so I get that they were <laughs> able to do better uh, because they're not trying to make like full cutscenes out of them. I was surprised to even check out the Amiga version and see that their graphics are even better uh, on that one. I was like, wow, these are really nice looking pixel art the kind i'd like like a yeah know, coffee book version of you know like that kind of large format and, and it's it's funny that you you say that about the nes version because while it is like it's it's competent like this game got kind of popular because of its like beautiful pixel art on the computer like the pc versions um whereas it's that that portion of it is kind of downplayed in this because it's an NES but um you're right like on the NES it still does look pretty good so i you know i just realized i thought we were done but we're not there we didn't talk about those side events these these random things that can sometimes happen you such can as get being married. Uh, yeah yeah you can get married uh by rescuing the princess and also like yeah, it's nice because you get married and now you see the the blank picture next to you on your status screen now is filled with her. So it's you know it's implying that nice marriage that you guys have as a family. But I think you also now like have joint ownership with another lord, right? Like joint you gain their territory. Oh, he's a, yeah, they're their vassal, the vassal stuff. Yeah, they're vassal. Yeah, so that that's that's pretty cool. Um, but some other side events that can happen are that the um, the Normans can uh, can steal from you. And um, your vassals can rebel, and you can um, run into Robin Hood, who will then uh, join you in your conquest. Uh, I think to the point where, if if you if you uh, recruit Robin Hood, he will. Is it a, is it a cutscene or like does it actually affect the st- the stats of the actual like uh, conquest battle on land? 
I think I it's can't a cutscene. I think he's slipping. I only saw. I didn't actually recruit sleeping. him. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. I mean, like that's pretty cool, yeah. though. Like the the idea of these side quests in this game, they're not really, and uh, they don't necessarily matter. It's cool if they happen or not. But the uh, the Norman stealing and the vassals rebelling are, you know, those have bigger implications. Yeah. Um. That that reminds me, like so much about like just the intrigue of more complex strategy games where they're not just one-offs where they're just like those are actually um uh they're actually like mechanics um so at least they are it is sort of reflected here as like wild cards that like you can sort of tip the scales a bit or have the the, the scales tipped against you um to to add a little bit of flavor to it yeah, I, I like those things. I wish I had known about Robin Hood earlier. I, I learned about him kind of late, but I, I so I actually never was able to use him either. But I, I thought that he like lent you numbers. So you're saying that he just gives you, um, like, he just kind of is like a free conquer. I, I, I think on maybe it's because there think, are three different he, ways you conquer. can use him, and maybe right. one of them is more of a cutscene thing, and the others are. Uh, buffs. I don't. I don't quite remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think regardless, he he limits your your the uh, enemy's soldiers. Like he helps make that number smaller. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And I I also had the I had a rebellion on my hands and lost a territory to it. So it was kind of you know it sucked at the time, but it was kind of cool to think about like oh this this feels like an organic thing that happened. Yeah. Real fast on the sequels and spinoffs here. Uh, in 1993, the graphic designer of Defender of the Crown, uh, Jim Sachs, designed a sequel, Defender of the Crown 2. It never really caught on because uh, it was only released on the Commodore CD-TV, <laughs> which I've never even wow. heard of today. But um, that's what it was released for. And I did find video footage of this, which I linked in the show notes. But for all intents and purposes, to me, this looks like a remaster of of the first game just with prettier graphics and maybe like some subtle balancing changes and stuff like that but i couldn't actually find any new features so if anybody wants to try and find a way to emulate uh defender of the crown 2 on the commodore cd tv this would be probably the only way you could play it today <laughs> but that's not the only sequel and spinoff for defender of the crown uh the ps2 game robin hood defender of the crown is basically the 3D version of Defender of the Crown, complete with um, new mini games, and you can only play as Robin Hood, uh, as the title what? implies. But you tr- uh, try to unite England after it after its king dies. That's not so what same, Robin same Hood plot does. Everything like that. It's not what Robin Hood does, <laughs> uh, but he does it in this game, and he has a bunch of mini games that are are brand new for 3D environments. Uh, still involve like your your crossbow and stuff like that, though. Uh, I, I watched some gameplay of this. It looks pretty jank. <laughs> Doesn't look like a finished game, but sometimes that's the appeal of those, uh, you know, those early 3D games. Although PS2 is not early, but it's early enough for me. Uh, then, <laughs> last but not least, Defender of the Crown: Heroes Live Forever. Um, that's a beautiful subtitle. Very beautiful. It's a, it's mostly Defender of the Crown again, except for a new addition to the game involved the use of hero and tactic cards during battles. Uh, basically giving uh, the user of the cards armies various upgrades during the on-screen melee. So uh, that's a fancy way of saying that they made it into a card battling (laughs) game, but also, you know, with numbers. 
any interest in checking out uh, any yeah. of those? I mean, maybe the maybe the latter. I'd check that out. Okay. I feel like you you are a guy who would play Robin Hood, Defender of the Crown, if you found it GameStop for two dollars. <laughs> but you're so you're saying it's basically the same thing, but you're Robin Hood in three D. Same thing in three D. Yep. You're Robin Hood. Uh, I don't know. I maybe maybe if you buy it for me, I'll play it. Okay, sounds good. Let's start a fundraiser. Right. Joe, nothing, right? Does nothing. none of this interest you? Nothing at all. I wasn't even listening. There you go. <laughs> I'm all just right. Kidding. Well, you better be listening to this next segment because it's arguably <laughs> the most important one we have. I am talking about the essential games list. Joe, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, I'll I I I'll start with the uh, the fact that I had a re- I had a fun time with this game. I think I enjoyed this more than Nobunaga's Ambition. Now I'll say that I think that maybe Nobunaga's Ambition has the more more potential for me to enjoy it if I put more way more time into it. But this was nice to be able to you know it's a little more bite sized, a little more especially if I'm playing on the NES. I know there's going to be like limitations. There's going to be some jank. Uh, I. I I think that the longer I play something like this, the, the the more I'll be like, this could maybe be evolved on another system or, or as it goes on. So like it was it was a nice bite sized thing, and I think that um, for what they set out to do, I think it works really well. And I and I um I really appreciate like the balance it brings to it. It's a it's a decent amount of strategy. It doesn't get like it never goes overboard. Not that not overboard, but it never gets too robust, which is fine for a bite sized thing like this. But um. I'll say this. I feel like I'm not really saying anything. So I'll say that, like, I, this is a game that, like, I did at one point consider putting it on the, the Essential Games list, which I feel like is saying something. But what keeps it off uh, for me is just the fact that, I mean, for one, that, like, some of the mini games, you know, like, don't feel like they, they kind of feed into the overall vision as well. And, and they, they, you know, while while some of them might be fun on their own and others not, like, they, they all don't, like, it's not cohesive in, like, this strategy game always. Um, although, you know, here to contradict myself again, sometimes I think that they actually do work pretty well. And I, and I do appreciate that they, like, mix it up. But the bigger thing that keeps it off for me is, is just the knowledge that there are so many other versions of this game and, and, and like how popular it is. And I know we don't like to do that too much, but, like, I just feel like if Defender of the Crown is essential, it's not this original, well, not original, but this early NES version of Defender of the Crown. Like, I'm sure that they've done, you know, they've done it better going forward. And and I've even played other NES games that have, like, this kind of element, uh, which I alluded to earlier, that I think have done it better. So, like, as impressed as I was with this where we are right now in you know in 1989 uh when i step back and look at it from my 2021 perspective i feel like it's not it's not enough so i'm gonna say no all right and then you know going back I mean, it's been a while it's been over an hour way over an hour now sean i told you i had a big concept thing that i was gonna save for later and i'm saving it for right now it's part of my essential games list vote and that is this game is overall, like, you know, a good time. Uh, you know, maybe that gives away too much already on my vote. But, like, it's overall a good time. The game wants you to think that you can do a lot of things. And you can. Like, we talked about a lot of different mini games that are included. The defensive sieges. The uh, jousting. Right? But a lot of that stuff 
it, you know, you could choose to pursue it. You don't have to. It's not necessary. The game really is all about acquiring gold fast, building an army fast, acquiring land fast, doing this fast. The faster you play through this game, and I found this through trial and error, is that like the longer you let this game go on, the chances of failure just continue to occur. I really feel like this game, rather than being an open-ended strategy game where the choices are yours, it's actually just pushing you in one particular direction to do certain things. I can't think of an actual reason unless you pick the wrong starting character. And I'm not saying like there's an objectively good one. I'm just saying like the wrong starting character that would require this to happen. I can't think of a good reason to call a tournament. There's better uses of your turn. There's better uses of your gold. The game wants you to think that you know you have all this freedom and, and ability similar to a game like Nobunaga's Ambition, but you don't really have that if you want any chance at winning this game or or doing well in this game. Maybe after you know many many hours of playthrough, you'll find other um, not sh- not necessarily better strategies, but different strategies so that you can use the other elements of this game. But you don't have to ever use those elements, and so ultimately this what I was calling grander strategy, right? It's not a it's not a modern-day grand strategy game, but it's grander than what we're accustomed to on, on these types of NES games. It's ultimately not that grand at all because it's, it's kind of shoehorning you into um, a specific set of actions that don't necessarily make me feel like I'm in control. It just makes me feel like I'm doing things so that I can continue on winning. And that's not fun for me in a strategy game. In a strategy game, I much prefer to be the one making those decisions. So the ultimate the ultimate verdict here is that the the guiding of the game, the way that the game was balanced and designed, causes me to play this game in a very specific way that I don't want to, but feel like I ultimately have to. And so therefore for me this is not an essential game. Sean? Yeah, I mean I think that sort of touches on what what I what I said before and like how I and what I'm going to say again is that like the, the there there is a uh, this is a solved game. Like you, the, there's really only a couple ways to play it, depending on what character you start as. And while you can deviate a little bit, um, there it, the, the snowballing effect because there are no bonuses for weaker care uh, bonuses for for weaker nations and malices for larger ones to to sort of give a little bit more leeway and. Uh, 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 latitude and and how you move forward. Um, th- there's there's really only one way to play the game, and uh, the fact that if after your first four or five turns you are in a bad position, you're going to be in a posi- bad position for the entire game. Um, that I can't really get behind. Um, and when it comes to like alternatives, like and I I don't try to always bring it back to like you know the like modern equivalents of this, but this is basically a menu diving game with some kind of jank mini games thrown in to give you a bit more agency. Um, it, but if you're into this setting, if you want to have like vassals and then your vassals sometimes rebel. And if you want to just blob on a map and if you want to, you know, uh, marry someone but this person is like 30 years your junior and is also your cousin for some reason like then you should probably just play crusader kings 
Like that, this it's a much more complex and rewarding experience, I think. Um, and it's kind of funny, uh, you know, when you rule all of Spain, but you're actually like an Italian prince um, or an English lord. So uh, you can you can play the time period that this is trying to to do in that. So this is all just a commercial for Crusader Kings three. Buy it on my Patreon. <laughs> Very good, very good. So not an essential game, but another interesting one nonetheless. I do like it when they change it up for us here. Uh, and by they, I mean um, they, you know, t- Father Time. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, history has already happened. So like uh, theoretically, all of these games have already been decided, right? I'll tell you what has not been decided, though. Okay, and that is what is going to happen on next week's episode, our 200th episode. Don't celebrate now because we're going to do a whole big celebration on the 200th episode but it yes it is episode 200 uh it is strider is the game and there are going to be uh you know a lot of fun stuff happening on that episode maybe some surprises maybe some shout outs maybe some special guests who can say what's going to happen on the 200th episode but i'll tell you one thing i wouldn't miss it sean would you miss it um what is next week? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. You know what? I wouldn't miss it. There you go. Joe, would you miss it? Uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off. I got to okay. think about it. All right. Well, if <laughs> Joe misses it, if anybody wants to fill in, uh, you know, now's the time. <laughs> Uh, all right, Dante, all right, all right. we're looking. You know, Dante, if you want, you know, you beat all the games on the NES. <laughs> no, no. You don't don't give away my spot. Don't it. give away my spot. I changed my mind. <laughs> okay, very good. He's back in. He's back in. No, seriously, though, episode 200, it's going to be big. I'm not saying it's going to be, like, incredibly long or anything. We're just going to jam-pack it. We're going to show a lot of cool stuff. We're going to say a lot of cool it's things. It's a clip show. We're going to... Yeah. Yeah, it's a clip show. Um, Yeah, that's really all I have to say about it. I'm very jazzed about that. So definitely tune in next Friday for episode 200. And, you know, if you're feeling feisty, between now and next Friday... Why don't you go back and listen to the other 199 episodes again to get caught up to speed <laughs> to really like understand the lore? Really, that is, yeah, you just do that, that every week, anyways. Like before the new episode, just binge. Yeah. If you have listened to all 199 regular episodes of Nostalgia, um, there's no special code or anything, but just tweet at us at NostalgiaCast. It'd be really cool to see how many of you actually listened to all 199 regular episodes and didn't skip any of them. Because trust me, there are some games in there that you should have yeah. skipped. Right? Yeah, there was well, there was some stuff in there. Can Can I add to the uh, to the call to action here? Because I've, I've been curious about this for a little yes, bit, and I'm please. I, I wonder how many of our listeners, and, and I don't think there's you know you need to do it either way, but. I wonder how many of our listeners play every game before they listen to the podcast. Uh, so, like, no. <laughs> if you do, let us know. I'm curious how many people will respond and say that you play, or, or not even every game, but most of the games or anything. And also, you know, while we're at it, another call to action. If you were born in Minnesota and you listen to Nostalgia Cast, let us know. Yeah, we need you. Don't let us. Yeah, <laughs> we for tax purposes, yeah. we need to know who who uh, was born in Minnesota. <laughs> Or if you're if you're from Yonkers too, you need to know that. <laughs> right? Yeah, Yonkers. If you uh, live in New, New York, York you'll know that Yonkers loves their taxes. Yep. Uh, but that's it. Don't tell Anything us uh, if you're you know yeah if you're from like Texas or California or Alaska. 
I mean, it's all cool stuff. Those are big states, like in the sense that they are actually large in area, uh, not necessarily in population. Texas has nobody living there. Yeah, well, it's like spread out, right? It's like spread out, and then it's very dense. Yes. <laughs> Just like the beginning of Defender of the Crown, the map. It, you know, it, uh, all the territory is very spread out, but then it gets dense once you claim those territories. You know what I've been thinking about density? 